Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, one of the things that I'm always mindful of is, you know, I never met a parent that doesn't want their kids to be successful. I've never met a parent who doesn't want their kids to have like a great career and a great life. And, but no matter what school you're part of, no matter if you have a kid here, you've you know, been to school yourself, you maybe you don't have children, there is no class in school called becoming mature. There just isn't a class for that. It's almost like maturity is somebody you hope you become while you learn about science or while you do math. You, you hope you get that. But one of the most painful days in the lives of kids and in the lives of any student is to realize that you've become a success, but you don't feel significant. That you can experience prosperity and really have no purpose. That is like one of the darkest days of someone's life. And so one of the things about being part of a church and learning together is to say, yeah, we want our kids to have a wonderful future, but we want to be those who go just a little bit deeper and call them to something deeper. And we've been trying to do this, uh, you know, together in this series. If you haven't been with us, maybe you're just catching us uh, for the first time. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're here for the first time. It's just welcome to you. My name is Dominic, and I'm uh, one of the leaders. We are just excited to be kind of wrapping up a teaching series that we've been at for about nine weeks now. So some of you know this, for nine weeks we've been encouraging you to think about what it means to become spiritually mature. And if you missed any of those, like you maybe were away, vacation, whatever, you can go online, you can watch them. Some of you know this, some of these messages have been kind of hard to kind of work through and you're like, eesh, I got to work on that. You know, every time I think of the word patience, which is one of these fruit of the Spirit, I'm like, ah, that one's something I got to work on, maybe kindness. But one of the things that we've tried to do in this series is to help you remember that to grow and to grow up in the Bibles to become mature, to be like a spiritually mature person, and to kind of understand that God calls us to this deep way of life. And the Bible uses this list of fruit. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. If you've never heard of them, you, you, maybe you're here for the first time, we have them on the screen, and you'll just see them. These are the actual, every week we've gone through one of these. So if you've missed any one of these, you can go watch and, and, and read about them. But today we're talking about goodness. But this is what it says in the Bible about this Holy Spirit who produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of people we long to become. These are the kinds of fruit, the way of life that overflows in us because the Holy Spirit is producing this in us. And I know for some people, I don't know why, they kind of don't think that matters. I meet a lot of people that are like, oh, that's great for someone else. I hope the pastor does that. I hope uh, if you're into religion, maybe you do that. But, but it's not for me. And one of the things that we're trying to encourage you is to think about that taking this step and trusting God to grow up in this way has incredible consequences. 
consequences for our lives as we think about the world we live in. Think about the, how the world we live in would look like if people acted this way. If people model this, this type of lifestyle that the Holy Spirit of God is producing in us. It's not something we just hope we get because we're working harder. It's not something we do because we're trying to get God's attention. Please, God, if I do this, you'll do that. That's not what this means. It means we are people who are learning to surrender to God so that he makes us these kinds of people. And over the years in my own life, I, I realized how hard this has been in my own life. Because there's so many things in the Bible that I felt when I was younger, learning about Christianity, I always felt they were like suggestions that I could go to as I was having a bad day. Ever happened to you? They're just suggestions. They're like ideas. Maybe they'll help. Maybe you want to win a debate. Maybe you're having a conversation with a friend. I'm like, oh, there's got to be something in the Bible. I'm going to Google this. And after a while, you realize that if you do that long enough, sooner or later, the Bible becomes something you go to when you're having a bad day. But to be mature is to realize that we're called to submit ourselves to this new way of life every single day. That God is producing in us something greater than just, oh, I need God on a bad day. And the image for that is to grow in maturity. This image of this fruit that is growing out of us. Now, one of the writers in the New Testament will emphasize this in such a deep way. This is what he says. His name is Peter, who's a follower of Jesus. He says this profound thing about what this maturity is in us and as it grows in us. That's what he says. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and of all, deceitful, of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, for some of you, you need to understand, like, so much of being a follower of Jesus and so much of understanding this is not just thinking, oh, I kind of have a ticket to heaven or I, I believe in the right things when I die. Kind of like some of the things that Joanna was mentioning, we confuse heaven and hell. And if that's where you're at, the learning series will really, really help you. Joanna's coming with her dad. It's going to be great. They're signing up today. We're going to help them with some of that stuff. It becomes easier to think, oh yeah, I kind of like, I have the right answer for heaven or I know what hell's going to be like. And we forget that the Bible actually says that we're called to grow in this salvation that God has offered to us. That we actually grow up into this new life and we mature. And part of that maturity flows out of the fact that we have tasted the love of God. We've tasted the love of God. We've, we've gotten a taste of how wonderful it is to have our lives anchored in this new way of life. I've never met anybody who's tasted something good that has not shared that with someone else. You ever meet anybody? They're driving, you go by a restaurant, and you're like, oh, I remember going there, that place is amazing. Oh, that place is great. Or if you're really one of those people, you do the reviews, are you the review type people? So great, I got to do a review. No, huh? you're just the bad reviews type of people. That's what you are? Okay. There's a lot of those in church especially, yeah. But, but when you taste something good, you just can't help but say, you have no idea. It's so amazing. Everything changed. I was so excited, and I can't wait to go back to that. The image that's used here is that when you taste of this love of God, this old way of life, and look at the imagery of like hypocrisy, envy, deceit, slander, spin, lying, gossip, all of these things, they kind of, they become part of the past. And now you start to see yourself as growing in a new way. This morning, I want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness. Okay, you saw on the list, we went through all of them today, we've landed on goodness. I, I kind of left goodness for the last one because it, it feels like the hardest one to talk about. Goodness is so challenging to talk about because we live in a culture where we use the word good for everything. 
This is good, that's good, the food is good, my kids are good, I'm good, right? How many of you think about how often we use the word good? You know, how you doing? Good. Have a good day at school? Good. Right? I grew up in a world where it's like, you know, I heard good in such a strange way. Like, I, I could go up to my dad and say, uh, you know, oh, somebody at school pushed me. What did you do? I pushed them back. Good. That's good. <laughs> like, you're not even sure. Like, what does good even mean? Like, it can mean anything you want it to mean whenever you want. Or, if you really don't grow past it, then good often for many people is how you feel. Right? It's just a feeling. I got up, it was cloudy, didn't feel good. If I don't have my coffee, I'm not even a Christian. <laughs> Will not be good. Not good. Right? Some of you know that. <laughs> good is kind of this word that kind of gets mixed into everything. And then when you read your Bible, you see this idea that the Holy Spirit wants to produce goodness in us. We're like, what could that mean? For so many years, you know, as a pastor, one of the things that I've often wondered is how easily we can confuse what this means in light of what the Bible teaches about goodness. And some of you maybe have heard about this, but, you know, I, I was a Christian for years, and then I decided I wasn't going to be a Christian for years, and then God led me to go to university, and I became a pastor with university students. For a while, I was a pastor with university students, and in the university context, one of the things that comes up is that, you know, you meet people that are, don't believe what you believe, and I'm always with parents, and I was for years with parents who were, like, nervous about their kids going to school, and what if they get, you know, confused about some other beliefs, and I know a lot of people that actually kept their kids from going to school because they didn't want them to get confused in, in the world, like in the bad world out there somewhere. And what starts to happen is that this idea of goodness gets confronted with the fact that we know so many people, all of us, know so many people who don't believe in God, but they are good. Just think of someone. I do. And after a while, you know what starts to happen? When you don't grow out of kind of a childish understanding of good, when you don't mature, Christianity becomes a religion you're a part of that helps you to be good. That's what a lot of people believe, by the way. If you tell people, hey, you know, you ever want to go to church? Have you ever thought about Christianity? You're like, I don't need church to be good. How many of you have said that? You don't put your hand up because, you know. <laughs> I don't have to come to church to be good. I know people are like, I don't have to believe in God to be good. And this word good becomes twisted in a way that we're like, I guess it's kind of true. And there's this moment where Jesus is going to be dealing with this issue in a way that is about to blow everybody's mind. And so I want you to hold in your mind the fact that to believe in Jesus is not the fact that we believe in somebody who helps us to be good. Okay, I know it sounds very strange. Believing in Jesus and being a Christian does not mean just to be good or just to be gooder, not a real word, I know, but, but to be just a little bit more good than someone else. Just, we just win the race. And when you die, God has a scale and he's going to weigh the good stuff and the bad stuff and you hope that there's more on the good stuff, even just by a bit. Because guess what? You get a ticket to heaven. I meet people, and I've met people for so many years. They go to church, their parents are Christians, they get to university, they believe that. And you know what happens if you believe that and you go to university? You walk away from your faith. So if that's what you want for your families and your kids, then just keep believing the lie that to be a Christian is just to be good a bit more good than someone else. But that's not what the Bible teaches. One day Jesus has this opportunity to bless the kids. It's so beautiful. He's going to bless the kids. He's going to pray for the kids. I don't know. It's back to school in the Bible somewhere. 
it's not, but I think of it that way. Right? The parents are like, oh, Jesus is a rabbi, he's a teacher, maybe he could touch the kids, and he prays for the kids. Some of you know this passage, it's very, very famous. And, and Jesus basically slows down. His disciples are like, keep the kids away, like they're loud, the hair, spitting, whatever they're doing, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a mess. And Jesus is like, no, no, let, let the kids, let them come. And in the ancient world, this would have been very strange for a leader who's a teacher and a rabbi, kind of very distinguished role, just to have all these kids around them, really, really messy disaster. And as part of this, one of the writers of the Gospels, his name is Luke, tells us that right about when this is happening, something else happens that kind of gets everybody's attention. And Jesus had this wonderful way of using every moment as a teachable moment. This is what we're told. Okay, as the kids are there, they're walking around, he says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, right? He's just been with all the kids. A certain ruler asked them, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Can you imagine hearing this? You're like, what? What do you mean no one is good? Jesus has just gone from praying, praying, kind of blessing these kids. And it's almost you have this this pull in the story, I never saw it like this before, maybe because this week we were praying for the kids. It's almost like this person represents what it's like to be successful in a world, something that everybody almost wants for their kids. We're told in one other passage that this is a young, rich ruler, a rich person. And they come to Jesus, they have all the wealth that they need. Jesus is just feeling, finished dealing with the kids. And they say to Jesus, good teacher, like, you know what? Like, what do I need to do? Like, what is... You know, what, kind of, what do I, need, I really need to do to kind of get to the next step, to really know for sure that when I die, there's this eternal place that we're going to be with God. What do I do? And Jesus throws him off. He says, did you just call me good? This is one of the most important things that Jesus tries to correct in the ancient world. And let me just say it this way, just to begin, because it's going to go just a little bit deeper. If you're taking notes, this might help you, okay? There were so many other religions you could have been part of in the Bible times to be a good person. So many. The Stoics were great at, you know, being really, really good. There was all kinds of other Roman religions that people followed to be good, just like today. So if you think that Jesus came on earth to die on a cross when he could have just said, hey, just be good, Jesus is an idiot. If that's what we believe about Jesus, that he just came to help us be a little bit better than someone else, we've misunderstood the whole story of what Jesus is going to teach his followers. And in this moment, he starts to address this issue of what it means to really think about goodness in a totally different way. I'm going to go back just to my experience as a university chaplain and being with students. Almost like every year at this campus where I worked at and was with students, we had a debate. Have you ever been part of those debates where it's like you have an atheist and you have a Christian and they debate and you kind of see and the Christians come and the non-Christians come and they have a big debate and you listen? You know, we've had, any of you ever go to one of those? They're like these big debates. Some of you, I've been to a lot of them. And sometimes, you know, I would be there and parents were like, oh, this is going to be great. Our kids will know that we're right and they're wrong. I'm like, sure, exactly like Jesus. So, so there would be these tense moments, right? And I've been to so many of those debates. And nobody really just decided that they would follow Jesus after any of those debates. They'd be tense. They'd be moments of winning. And, and actually this week, the reason this came to my attention is I heard about a decision that was made at Harvard to pick as a chaplain, maybe some of you saw this, the chaplain for Harvard this week that was selected this week or last week was announced, 
is someone that nobody expected Harvard would pick. They picked an atheist to be the chaplain of one of the most historical religious schools in the U.S., to be their chaplain. I'm like, I'm like, I used to have that job. That's a cool job. Not at Harvard, but that's the kind of job that I had. I was on a campus. And you can go to the slide. This, 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 right, this uh, chaplain, he's right over there, young guy, looks really nice. Looks like one of my friends, actually. Good guy. He wrote this book a few years ago called Good Without God. And right away, it just came to my mind again, like, that we're learning about goodness, and I had been for years on a campus where we did all kinds of debates like this. It was great. And if you're ready to kind of go deeper and grow, you're wrestling with this, you read the, you know, this book is, a, is, a, is an intense book to read. If you read it and you want to buy me lunch, I'm meeting with you, okay? But one of the things that I realized is almost every time I was part of one of these debates, I wrestled with something that I'm going to confess to you. I rarely confessed it to anyone else that these debates should have lasted one minute if they're called, can someone be good without God? Because you know what the answer is? The answer is yes. Everybody go home now. Of course you can be good without God. Of course people who don't believe in God can be good neighbors and friendly. Of course you can do that. The only problem is Jesus is, didn't come to help us just be good. If you want to remember anything about the sermon and you want to go back and maybe watch this again, that Jesus talks about goodness in a way where we would think that it's, God's not calling us to be bad people who turn good. He's calling us to be people who were dead and now are set free. There's such a big difference. That in the story of Jesus, we are invited to be people who want to be good because we've understood that God is setting us free. Freedom is the biblical category for what it means to say yes to Jesus. Not good or bad. And that's why so many people that you meet, if they still think that being a Christian is to be good and bad, and that's all they think it is, trust me, sooner or later, they will stop believing in Jesus. You know what starts to happen to people who, who never learn that following Jesus is more than just being good more than you were yesterday? They start to question everything about their faith within a short time. And then, here's the best thing, they become the most judgmental people you've ever met. Lots of those in church, by the way. Because if it's all about measuring good and bad, guess what you have to keep track of all the time? What everybody's doing. Where did they go? Where are they smoking? Do they chew gum? Did they run in church? Do they wear a cap? All these, you have a list. And that's exactly what happens in the story. It's so great. This is what happens next. Jesus says to this rich young, this rich ruler, he says, do you know the commandments? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give, uh, give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Right? These are the Ten Commandments. Jesus just asked them. All these I have kept since I was a boy. You know what Jesus should have said next? Wonderful. Go enjoy your money. Have a good day. That's what he should have said. If Jesus just came to remind us to follow the Ten Commandments, you know what we don't need? We don't need the cross. We also don't need the resurrection. We also don't need a Bible. And yet, Christians who've been in church for 20 years and 30 years have passed on a faith to their kids about just be good, and then they're confused why their kids go to university and fall away from the faith. You know why? Because they never understood Christianity to begin with. Too intense, huh? Too intense? It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Can we stop with this nonsense? If you're a Christian, you think being a Christian means to be more good? To be a Christian is to understand that God sets you free when you didn't even care about being good. 
That's what it means. And Jesus goes through the list of all these things. Hey, have you done these things? Have you done these things? Have you done these things? Yeah, I've done that. You think about this rich young ruler with his friends. Think about the parents who have all the kids there, right? Who are like, let's listen in. This is going to be great. Let's listen. Who had a plan for their kids, who Jesus is praying for, that they would one day be rich. They're like, oh my goodness, don't tell me he's going to say something bad about money. Oh my goodness, no, 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 no. That Jesus is like, hey, hey, so the commandments, as you think about them, have you followed them? Yeah, yeah, when I was young. If you, if you remember this, please just write this down somewhere. Go home, write it down, listen to this again if you're watching online. People who never learn that to be a follower of Jesus is to be set free and continue to believe that to follow Jesus is just to be good, eventually stop coming to church. They eventually stop reading their Bible. They eventually stop sharing their faith of how Jesus set them free. These are all the things that start to happen as you start to realize, wait a second, you just have to be good? Anybody can be good. Not realizing that the gathering of the people of God is the time where we worship, where we remind ourselves that this is how God has set us free. And it's very different. Very different than any other category you're going to get in the world. Because there's people who don't believe in God and they're trying to be good. But that's not what Jesus comes to talk about. Because all of a sudden, someone who's been very good since a boy, someone who's not only been very good since a boy, but God has blessed, and in the ancient world to be rich is to believe that the blessings of God have been passed on to you. You have a lot of money? Blessings of God. Jesus says one last thing to this ruler. If we were all there, we'd be like, oh my goodness. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Imagine everybody's like, oh my goodness, I was so out of this, it was so great. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. <laughs> Jesus is like, you know what it's like to be good, but you don't know what it's like to be free. Now, let's talk about freedom. Let's talk about the fact that Jesus could have said, you have a lot of money. When you see somebody who's poor, just help somebody. He's like, I could do that. Somebody write that down. Some, uh, write that down. We can do it. Jesus could have said anything. You did the commandments so well. This is so good. So proud of you. Hey, you know, why don't you give a bit of your money? We're going we're gonna to fix up the temple. We're going to fix that up. Okay, we could do that. Get some money for the temple. No, no, Jesus says, there's something that still has gripped your heart. And you have confused being good with being free. And Jesus says, now, this is how to experience real freedom. Give up all your wealth. Give it to the poor and follow me. What Jesus is saying to each of us is that each of us know that there are things in our lives that still have our hearts. And every time we learn about goodness, the world says, let's just talk about goodness because everybody's just good. And Jesus says, no, let's talk about parts of you that are also not good. The things that because you're not set free, you will often see the world in a way that benefits you only. Let's talk about those things. Let's talk about the things that have gripped your heart that you can pretend to be good and never be free. And then, for 20 years, pass on this morphed view of Christianity to every generation. Let's talk about that. Imagine if Jesus would have said that. You know what? He could have just avoided the cross altogether. I'm so happy you guys are good. I don't even have to die anymore. This is great. Everybody go home. This is one. He's like, you understand you are not free. 
And the goodness that the Holy Spirit produces in us is a goodness that flows out of understanding that we don't know how to be good in a way that sets us free. We do not know that. And Jesus says, I will set you free. And then you'll understand goodness. Because every time we try to wrestle with what it means to really be set free, we know that there's things in our lives that we just don't want to let go of. For some of you, maybe it's like this rich ruler. Maybe it is money. For some of you, it's not money at all. I know many of you that you're generous. Money has no grip on your heart. That's beautiful. But for some of you, it's something else. What is that thing that Jesus would say to you? What is that thing that Jesus would point out? You've been so good. Wow, you follow all the rules. This is wonderful. For when you were a child, oh, that's amazing. But why are you not free with this area? Why has sin and death still creeped into your heart that you have not understood that God wants to set you free? And Jesus says to this man, follow me. Because freedom comes from following Jesus. Freedom comes from surrendering those things and saying, now, I'm going to follow you. Now, just so we don't forget this, Jesus left us a meal about freedom. This is not a meal about goodness. This is a meal about freedom. Because everybody who took communion from the beginning of the church knew that this was a story about slaves becoming free. It wasn't about bad people just being good a little bit better than someone else in Egypt. It was about people embracing God's freedom. Can I just encourage us to be really, really careful, to get lost in the noise of our world where we're trying to defend something that God's never called us to defend when God, in fact, is calling us to live as people who've been set free and out of that to model a new kind of goodness that's different than a a debate between can you be good without God? This morning, I'm going to invite each of us to take some time to come to communion. The team's just going to lead us in a quick song. And some of you, you know that there's something in your heart that represents money to this man in the story. And we're going to give you a chance to quietly confess that. To confess that to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I, I think I've confused following you with just being good. And I have to understand that really following you is about understanding your freedom. That you really set us free. When Jesus sits with his disciples, he's going to have this meal. And at one point, he he says this to them. It's profound. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, when I was really, really young and I was learning the Bible, I would stop at the part that says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. I love that part. And I make a list of all the things. And then I realized that the people who are asking who are people who want the Father's glory to be the first thing in their lives. Changes everything for you. You're like, oh, man, can't ask for that. That as Jesus prepares to take this meal with his disciples, he's going to talk to them about their lives overflowing with fruit. This fruitfulness that we pick up in the fruit of the Spirit. In a few minutes, I'm going to come down and I'm going to lead us. I want you to think about what it means for you to move away from thinking that following Jesus is just about going from being bad to being good. It never was that. It will never be that. Now, you should still be good. 
there's still a goodness that overflows in us to care, to be good Samaritans, to love our neighbors. All that stuff is true. But at the heart of what Jesus comes to teach us is that he even stops somebody that calls him good. And he says, wait, wait a second. Let's talk about freedom. And let's talk about the only way you can experience freedom is by understanding what I'm about to do on that cross. If, uh, if you've never celebrated communion with us, uh, it's a very sacred moment. And we understand that if you're here and you're new and you're not sure yet about Jesus and what he teaches, that you're just not comfortable yet. We understand that. There's no pressure to do this. We're just happy that you're here. But for those of us who said yes to following Jesus, this is the meal that reminds us that he set us free. This is it. For thousands of years, Christians have come back to this meal because Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to invite you to respond in the way God is leading you and to come up and to just grab one of these little cups. It's, it's got a wafer at the top and juice underneath. Because of COVID, we're going to be really, really careful. Just encourage you. We're going to do this in sections, so this section can come up first as you feel led. And then you grab the cup and just take it back to your seat. Then we'll let, we'll let for this section do the same thing. And then that section, so we're all going to practice the fruit of the Spirit patience at the same time. Because you'll be like, ah, gotta go. We're not, we have nowhere to go. We've got lots to do still. And when you go back to your seat, Ask Jesus to set you free. And if he's already set you free, thank him that you're free now to understand his goodness in a whole new way. And I'll come up in a minute and, and I'll lead us. Take it together. Come as you feel like. Sorry. Some of you, maybe you, uh, you're here this morning and uh, maybe you're watching online and you realize that it's not enough to just slow down and take communion, but you feel like you'd like to pray with someone, talk to someone, kind of rethink some of the things that you're learning. We, we actually have a prayer space in the back right over there, and there's some wonderful people from our church that would love to pray with you. Or maybe you know that your next step is to sign up for our learning series, to be like, I got to grow in a new way in my faith. I got to understand some new things. We want you to do that as well. Because the disciples who took this meal with Jesus had been with Jesus for three years. Three years. Just think about this. You think Jesus was a good guy? You think Jesus was good? I think so. You think that being with someone who's good, as good as Jesus, would have made them good? Should. But Jesus, as he sits at this table with them, he says, by the way, some of you still think that this is about being good and about kind of being on the right side and the wrong side. But one of you here is going to betray me. Come on. One of you here is going to deny me. Get out of here. You've been with Jesus, the good one, the loving one, and you still are not set free. Jesus will say, you understand now that what I'm about to do next is the thing that will set you free. I, after this meal, will go, they will take me, and I will die on a cross, and they have no, they're like, what are you, come on, come on, 
Like this meal is about Moses. It's about the Exodus. It's about e Prince of Egypt. It's about that. She's like, not anymore. It's about so much more than that. It's about you knowing that a good God set you free when you didn't care about being good. That's what this is about. That a good God set you and me free when we didn't care about being good. And even when we thought about being good, it was for ourselves. Jesus is like, every time you do this in remembrance of me, you will read the story of those who walked with me and yet they were not good. They were not free. Paul writes to Christians in the early church who are celebrating this meal. And he says to them, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it. it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer bread together. the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again let's take the cup After God set, set his people free in Egypt, he led them into the desert. And in the desert, they were not instructed to be good. They were instructed how to worship. This forever would be the mark of what it meant to be set free. That in the desert, God was going to teach them, his people, how to be a worshiping people. To the point that he told Pharaoh through Moses that he should let his people go so that they can worship him. And somehow we've made this story about God helping us be good. I promise you this, that if you think that that's what this is about, you will never commit to making this worship central in your life. You'll just always find someone who's good and good enough. They believe what they want. Everybody's just trying to be good and you will have missed everything that Jesus spoke about. You will have missed everything that the cross and the resurrection represents. So this morning, before I let you go, can we agree together to never just think that this is about us trying to be good? Can we agree together that as the next generation questions and wonders about our faith and what we believe, can we tell them that this is a story about how God set us free 
to be those who experience the fruit of his goodness bubbling up inside of us. Can we commit to that? Because if we do not, the next generation will never understand Jesus. Never! Because they'll always find someone else who was good. Let's stand as we close. Father, the scriptures are clear that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Because you love to set us free. And that as we worship you, we are formed in that freedom to be those who grow in our salvation so that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident to all. We need your help be these kinds of people. So today, at the beginning of this new season, we ask you to help us to remember daily what it means to be formed as those who have been set free. To make worship and learning and growing in this freedom a priority. And to model that for a generation of people, some of them our own kids, who still think that this is a story about who's being good. Forgive us for failing them. And be with us as we try to learn and to grow and to live lives that bring glory to you the way Jesus our Lord did when he was obedient all the way to the cross. For our sake, Sin and the power of evil to keep us bound was destroyed. We are free now. May people see this in us, not because we might win a debate or have the right answer to something, but because we are living in this freedom in a new way. As we go now, go ahead of us provide opportunities for us to share about this freedom with others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let me warn you. This week, a lot of things are going to come your way. Lots of opportunities to model the fruit of the Spirit. Be sensitive to how the Spirit will help you do that. We want to encourage many of you to take the next step and join us learning series to grow with us this fall. Make it a commitment. And as you pick up your kids, for those of you who have kids, just throughout this week, read the prayer with them that's in their journal. Just read it with them. You'd be surprised how God's going to use them to maybe change something in you. God bless everyone. See you next week.